I went to community college for a couple of years, which was actually one of the best things that I probably could have done. That was like the turning point for me personally. My whole life, my mom was like, you should pursue a career that makes a lot of money. It's like, okay, I will. And then when she was like, why did you do this? Why did you listen to me basically? So I was like, you're right. Why did I listen to you? I'm gonna do whatever I want. Uh, so I decided to pursue a career in art. Hello, welcome everyone to a very special episode of Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozolanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Ashley Itleong, stepping in again as the second half of your co-host. Before you introduce our guest this week, Ashley, would you mind actually giving us a little more intro to yourself uh, so the audience can be more familiar with you? Yes. So I'm an Asian American freelancer currently living in Texas. My main work is in photography and videography for a variety of things. And I'm one of the audio editors for this podcast. This week's guest is Yuki Okamura Wong. She is an Asian American harmony animator currently working at Global Mechanic. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself, Yuki? Yeah. So like you said, I am uh, Asian American. I'm half Japanese, half Chinese. I grew up in California, but I currently live in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it was a big move for me, hoping to get back on the West Coast soon. I have a dog, a gecko, and a boyfriend, and I love them all very much. <laughs> oh, so sweet, so sweet. And then I uh, just also want to mention, welcome everybody to uh, season two of Straight Ahead, Ooh. getting up and rolling as we ramp up to our super special 50th episode of Straight Ahead podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. Exciting. Uh, we thought it would be nice for our audience to actually get to know us a little better, which is why I was a guest last week and why we have Yuki as our guest this week. In hindsight, we should have probably done this as one of our very first episodes when we started, but too late now. <laughs> Before our 50th episode, we'll be talking about the podcast and taking questions from the audience. So when that time comes, join us on Twitch TV on Sunday, January 23rd. You can go to our Twitch space or our link tree to follow us and get notified when we go live. But before we get into the interview, the way we start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Ready for this, Yuki? I've never heard of this game in my life. (laughs) (laughs) This is preposterous. This is absurd. (laughs) All right, then I'll start us off with the first question. (laughs) Okay. Would you rather be making deliveries around the city of Coriko, like Kiki's delivery service, or would you rather be delivering letters like Violet Evergarden from Violet Evergarden? Mm, okay. This is really tough because Kiki, you can fly and you're a witch and that's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in Violet Evergarden, like the whole series is really built around the content of her writing the letters for people and getting to know like these intimate stories about people. They are in like a post-war era, which kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think Oh, man. I think if I was going to go for one of the two, I would probably prefer to deliver them like Violet from Violet Evergarden. Hopefully I don't lose my arms and am a former child soldier. But like, (laughs) because like her whole story is like really like way too bizarrely tragic. But I like Mm. the individual stories of people. There's a lot of like letters that she like. Okay, if you don't know about the, the show, she helps people write letters because 
not everybody can like read and write. So she like types them out for them and then delivers those letters. But like the thing about, I don't know, delivering that sort of stuff. And then like the stories that they tell, it's there's a lot of like love, like feelings about love and grief and like regrets of like people that they've lost in the war who they're like, well, I could never talk to them again. Or like one woman, she's like dying. So she writes all these letters to her daughter so that she can open them every year on her birthday. Like shit like that. I was like, oh, wow. I was like crying like practically every episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a it's a really like good kind of intense show. But like, yeah. Also, a personal thing about me is like my first dream job was to be a male lady. So like, really? Yeah. (laughs) Strangely enough, you got to live for it. You got to live it a bit when you were working at UPS. That's true. I wasn't able, I wasn't like actually delivering stuff, but I was like, wow, I'm working at UPS. Like, living the dream. I'm playing the male. Yes. <laughs> it's actually funny. I did not know about that about you that your, uh, one of your first dream jobs was to be a male delivery lady. It's true. It seems like a simple life. Yeah. It's nice. I, I don't know. It was like very romantic to me. I think obviously uh-huh. it would be a lot tougher to actually do it, but like I had this male lady when I was like really young, like in kindergarten or something like that. And I would go down and sometimes to get the mail for my mom. Uh, like we lived in an apartment complex and like sometimes I would see her and then she would like see me and like talk to me and like give me stuff if she like had it or whatever. I just I don't know. It was just a ro- romantic feeling of like, oh, a stranger is delivering stuff for us. It was probably like bills or whatever <laughs> for my mom. But like nothing. Fun. It was just like, I don't know, a simpler, simpler time. Simpler time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That makes sense because it's like such a simple approach to life type mm-hmm. thing and you're giving things, hopefully things people want, unless it's bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like a Santa Claus feeling maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah if, yeah, if the work schedule wasn't so terrible, Amazon right. would probably be ideal because you're always like delivering the gift, the things that people order that they want and waiting yeah. for. That they're excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd like to have Kiki's job. Mm-hmm. I think it seems very quaint and like a cozy town. So that seems like a good time. Totally. Yeah. The ability to fly. Yeah. Totally mm-hmm. down. I don't think I have the, the emotional capacity to do what I <laughs> what Violet's doing. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the whole plot of Kiki, too, is like losing passion for your work. It's like the artist sort yeah. of story, even though she's like delivering stuff. It's, you know, she loses passion for a thing that she was doing for fun at mm-hmm. first and then she started monetizing it basically and then she was like i can't even do it anymore like mm-hmm. it's it's very really relatable good. it's so yeah. relatable <laughs> yeah all right well i'll lead us into our last question would you rather be living in a hundred acre woods with winnie the pooh and the rest of his friends or in equestria with all the my little ponies Ooh. all right um <laughs> oh this is hard Am yeah, I like good. am I like Christopher <laughs> Robin in in the Winnie the Pooh or am I like another stuffed animal? I would think you're another stuffed animal. Because same oh, thing with okay. in My Little Pony, I feel like you would just be a pony. Be another pony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you be an animal living in the hundred acre world. So you you also get the joy of like seeing Christopher Robin come and visit you. Oh, that's so cute. But then be shafted when he just wants to talk to Pooh. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, you oh. can be a mouse. You can you can be you can be a mouse in the hundred acre woods. <laughs> With your the glasses and sweater vest. I could become a furry. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, that's that's hard because there is no wrong answer. 
and uh no, there, I, is I probably, there is a wrong answer there is a wrong answer i don't know i would probably go with 100 acre wood just because even though i like i really like the universe of my little pony it there's more like crazy it's almost like real life but then also magical disasters happen because like a lot of the stuff that happens in my little pony is like they just do normal people things but they're all horses (laughs) 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 which is really fun um but yeah i might go with 100 acre wood here i think like being a stuffed animal would be would be pretty fun just bringing joy to people you're christopher robin that's really cute yeah i think i also would want to be a resident of the 100 acre woods think that'd be cool yeah Yeah. that's so sweet right yeah same (laughs) i'm also more familiar with winnie the pooh so i think i would also go there as well yeah, like don't get me wrong, I love My Little Pony. I mean, maybe if I could be like a dragon or something. They have other races in My Little Pony that I'm like, wait, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even know that. I thought I would just. I mean, I figured like they would have their own version of like animals or like you know their own livestock because they have to eat something. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Well, they're they're vegetarians mostly, but there are other uh-huh. like woodland like creatures and stuff. Uh, and also like fantasy creatures like uh, griffins and the ones that are in the water. I forget hippocampus or something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> hippopotamus. No, it's hippocampus. It's like a hippocampus. I think that might be in your brain. I don't remember what they're yeah, called. Yeah, hippocampus they're... is a part of your brain. Well, anyway, they're like sea ponies or whatever. Oh, okay, mer ponies. All right. <laughs> wow, that was <laughs> in between. You do? Are you okay? Can you take a minute? <laughs> Still processing no, uh, ponies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was in between. Thanks so much for playing with us, uh, Yuki. Good question. Hope that was a lot of fun for you. Hopefully, I got you with a couple of the questions. You did. Good. I'm mad. <laughs> I'm seething. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. So without further ado, the long-awaited anticipation of this interview with uh, with Yuki has finally come. Da-da-da. Are you ready? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm going to hype this up so much. It's going to be the best one. That. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yuki's going to give you such stellar answers. I don't. I like, you know what? Honestly, I hate public speaking. And when the spotlight is on me. <laughs> but I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you guys. You do great. You always do amazing. Okay, without further ado, can you tell us how you first got your start working in the animation industry? Yes. So my first official job was working as a Harmony animator for Awesome Incorporated here in Georgia. I graduated in 2019 from San Jose State University's animation illustration program. And then after that, I basically didn't do anything for a year or rather I was applying to jobs, but for the year after, I was like drawing OCs and or original characters and drawing comics and basically doing everything that I wanted to do that I stopped myself from doing while I was in school because I was like burnt out from like studying and doing all of this stuff. But like I said, I was applying to places and my friend Kayla Knight, who was on our podcast uh, earlier, great episode, I was an intern with her. At Cartoon Network, I think I had mentioned that I'm an animator. I must have, uh, <laughs> because she reached out to me and was like, "Hey, my work is hiring animators. Can you send me a portfolio?" 
And I was like, oh, okay. And so I like type, 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 uh, sent her my portfolio and resume. And she was like, I'm going to hype you up to my boss. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she was a production assistant at the time at Awesome Incorporated. So a couple months went by, didn't hear anything about it. And I was like, okay, well, like probably a dead end, whatever. And then I finally suddenly get an email from Awesome Inc. And they were like, hey, do you want to do an interview? And I was like, uh, sure. And so we did an interview. <laughs> uh, they like hired me on. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much it. And then like in the January of 2020, I like flew out to Georgia, found a place, kind of like secured a lease or whatever, and then started in February of 2020. I was... <laughs> A month later, uh, and then yeah, pandemic. And then, uh, about <laughs> a month and a half later, uh, we all went into quarantine. So, like, I moved across the country uh, for almost no reason. <laughs> but besides that, once I got in there, I was like, Kayla, you got me my job. Like, let me take you out to lunch. So she was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I get treated to lunch or whatever. And when we were there, she was telling me, all of this stuff. I said this in her episode, but like, mm -hmm. I have to say it again because she was telling me like, oh yeah, after you sent me your portfolio, I would select the top 10 candidates every week and then put yours as a bonus candidate and be like, check out my friend. She's willing <laughs> to relocate. And I was like, Kayla. <laughs> and she did this for like multiple weeks, every week, hyping me specifically up. And I was like, Kayla, why you didn't have to do all of this? <laughs> so nice of but, her. Yeah, it was super nice of her, and I didn't ask her to do any of that. But like, she really wanted to like you know have somebody who she could trust, you know, working on it. And the thing is, is that I also like was working as a harmony animator on Bird Girl for Adult Swim. I didn't know anything about harmony puppet rig animation, so I get in for my first day, and they're like, "Here's your desk. Here's the rig. You can like." mess with the rig for a couple of days and like then let us know when you're ready for work and i was like okay and so i was like messing around in the program and touching the rig and like looking around me being like what do i do <laughs> oh no <laughs> i thought you did have experience no i had no experience i knew how to use harmony the program like hand drawn but i didn't uh -huh. know how to use harmony rigs at all but you you were familiar with flash rigs right Yes, I, I had used okay. Flash animation rigs before, but it's different working with the program. Like, all of the hotkeys are different. The hierarchy, the structure is completely different. Okay. Um, and you can do a lot more in Harmony, in my opinion. But, like, I was up front with the producer, like, uh, with our production coordinator, production manager. I don't, I forgot what his title is. But I was like, yeah, I don't know how to use that, but, like, I'm willing to come in and learn. So, like, they hired me on knowing that. Uh, so for the entire first day, I was basically just like trying to make friends and then also figure the rig out on my own. And then the day after that, another person came in like after me and he was already experienced and stuff like that. And he basically messed with the rig for like 30 minutes and was like, OK, I'm ready for shots. And then I was like sitting there panicking. So I went over to my <laughs> animation director and I was like, so can we like schedule out an hour long meeting and you just tell me how to use the rigs because I don't like know anything and I don't know how much the production manager told you. And I was like really embarrassed because I thought he was going to, you know, tell somebody. And like, she was like, oh my God, I didn't realize you were so green. Like, of course. Yeah, let's do it. And so, oh, wow. uh, yeah, she was super cool about it, but I was like really nervous. And uh, so the day after that, like on my third day of work, Finally, in the morning, uh, for just an hour, she showed me how to touch the rig, like use it, change the hierarchy, pose the things. And I was like, 
incredible. I've got it. I'm good to go. Like, it really didn't take that long, but there wasn't, like, an instruction manual on how to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, moving the puppet rigs was not that big of a deal. It was just, like, knowing the program, and there's not a whole lot of tutorials on how to use specific rigs. No, that, ma- that makes sense. But it's, it was so great that you were so honest, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, when I got into that meeting, too, I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I should have told you earlier. And she was like, uh, no, the production manager should have told me so that <laughs> I could have done this earlier. Well, that's really good that they were so nice about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of fortunate that we were towards the beginning of that production for Bird Girl. Like we were on episode one and it was uh, season one of this series. So like we didn't know anything about like scheduling or how long everything was going to take. So it was kind of a lax schedule at that point, which was like really fortunate. Mm-hmm. They were probably still trying to find their groove, so probably the perfect opportunity to like learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was. It was really like ideal for me to come in as green as I was. That's so great. And then, how would you actually compare that experience working on Awesome Inks, Bird Girl, compared to Primal Screens, Jelly Ben and Pogo, which was kind of like one of your following jobs afterwards? It was practically night and day. <laughs> <laughs> not because of adult to kid or is, is that the night and day right that it's not because of the content of like being adult to kid because in that sense like animating the rigs is like it doesn't matter you get the storyboard you uh just pose it out however it looks you maybe add a little flair if there's some time but it was night and day because for bird girl we were a studio that was working on a show that was like produced in la so like all of the storyboards, all of the writing, everything decision-wise was being done in Los Angeles. And basically, we had no input as animators. So like, <laughs> we basically, if something was wrong, we just had to make it work. Like, it was a lot of like trickle down of like, oh, we'll just fix it in the next stage of the pipeline. And the next <laughs> stage of the pipeline was animation. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just what happens sometimes in animation. It was like, you know, people run out of deadlines or... You know, you have to keep to a certain schedule. But like for Bird Girl, we had to do a lot of problem solving on our end. And we had to take in a lot of notes that like there was no way for us to communicate if a note was difficult or if a note would take a long time back up the pipeline. Like there was just it was almost impossible. So like in that way, it was really frustrating because like as an animator working on something, you want to feel like you understand what you are creating. So that you can, Mm -hmm. you know, get the best result and that everybody's happy. But if you can't communicate that, then you're just kind of like shooting in the dark and working off of storyboards. So that's why it's really important for storyboards to be so tight coming out of L.A. Because like they have to go to a different studio. And even if it's not an overseas studio, like even people like we all speak English and are American. Like there was a lot of stuff that was like we had to just interpret on our own Mm -hmm. because we couldn't communicate to the top studio. But for Jelly Ben and Pogo, which was like an incredible show that it's really unique in the way that the director and creator of the show was Jaleesa Leva. She was fantastic. I love her to bits. She was the creator of the show and the animation director. So like whenever we were doing animation, we would just say like she would do the draw overs and she would say, can you push this direction or push this emotion? And we'd be like, great, because... All of that feedback was directly from, you know, the horse's mouth. It's directly from the person who wanted to see, you know, their vision come to life. So, like, it was just such smooth sailing in terms of, like, what we could do of, like, oh, if I wanted to push 
a rig or if I wanted to like make a uh, like artistic decision, I could just ask her and there would be no like two week time lag or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that was like incredible to work on. And then also for Jellybin and Pogo, there was a lot more like subtle acting that we can do. For Bird Girl, it was a lot of just like three quarters up, they stand here and talk and then <laughs> yeah. maybe mm-hmm. they'll turn around or there'll be like one or two scenes where Bird Girl's doing like a flip or like some action stuff. But like most of that was given to our senior animators, Justin King and Caitlin Walsh, who are also incredibly fantastic. Oh, and the other thing on Bird Girl was that we did pieces of animation. So sometimes one person would be on keys, a different person would be on in-betweens, you know. And so you wouldn't really get a piece in the end that was like yours, which makes it harder to like put a portfolio together because mm-hmm. sometimes you would only be keying a scene or sometimes you would only be in-betweening a scene. So you can't really like put on your portfolio and say like, I only did the in-betweens. That just seems like a weird Thing to display you know of like i made this yeah because you you have to put an asterisk when it yeah, comes to like exactly. certain scenes so yeah that made it really difficult but for jelly ben and pogo we did everything from like sketch to finish all the way through so i mean i was really fortunate i got a really cool scene on bird girl that was like basically almost all hand drawn because i had to redo many of the parts of the rig so i think that really helped me out in getting my like jelly ben and pogo job also because it it was more focused on hand-drawn like assets to create like a certain look as a non-animator i'm just making this connection is in between an animating term as well and that's the whole pun that's that's correct in between is like (laughs) you do key poses for your animation and in between is like all of the parts in between that ah okay yeah yeah. that's pretty pretty smart connecting the dots (laughs) you got it for a lot of people and me especially like i know more about it now but previously i didn't know that you can even draw extra assets for a 3d rig i thought like what was there is what you use kind of like similar to like a 3d model like it's rigged you move it you pose Mm -hmm. it i thought like all the assets that you could use was already kind of there in the puppet but yeah can you talk more about that process of like creating those extra assets or creating those the things that the rig doesn't have with it when you're doing a scene. Yeah, so a 2D puppet in Harmony will get you about half the way there. And depending on how much stuff is already built into the rig, like I've done some tests for studios where like they have a hundred hands in their library or a hundred mouths. And I know that Bento Box even has a software, proprietary software that like automatically does the lip sync. It's just like you just plug it in and hit a button and it does it for you. That's cool. But you will get very often a lot of scenes where, uh, oh, the easiest one is actually if a character is grabbing or holding something, you have to create different drawings for like how they're holding it, the item layered under that, and then probably some fingers layered under that. So like Mm -hmm. you're going to be doing a lot of those kinds of drawings and like touching the node editor, which is like if you've ever worked in Maya or something like that, they also have a node editor. It's really good to get familiar with the node editor and kind of understand some of the like coding that goes into it i guess Mm -hmm. um it's hard to explain it makes more sense when you look at it and you just click on things and they work but (laughs) it makes more sense when you actually understand it because when you first look at a node editor and you see all the different like lines connected to these different nodes Mm -hmm. you can be overwhelmed you're like what the hell is this minefield but once you know like the process of what connects to what it becomes easier to look at but 
first look, if somebody doesn't know your scene and they just look at your note editor, they'll just be like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And for, for speed purposes, we try not to redraw too much. Like, hopefully you have enough body parts to just like do a walk cycle or like do something simple, get somebody to point A to point B and then like do like some arm gestures or whatever. But yeah, I mean, also on Jelly Ben and Pogo, which was awesome, we had IK and FK switching arms and legs, which we didn't have on Bird Girl. So that was like such an incredible thing to have. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> oh, sorry. IK, inverse kinematics, and FK, forward kinematics, is the direction in which the rig reads arm and leg movement. So like FK, if you can imagine, is if you move your shoulder to your elbow to your wrist, like that's the movement of like things that it'll follow. IK is like if I put my hand on a table and I keep it there and I move my body around, it's kind of dictated by where my hand is, right? Like it'll mm, stay okay. there and not move. So that's sort of the a basic two two ways about it. So like having IK and FK is really helpful, especially if you need somebody's feet to stay on the ground or somebody's hand to stay on a table, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. You said a term earlier, you were green. Is that like a slang as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, that just means like, if you're green, that means you're new to something. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I also kind of want to get into is that you've also entered for Cartoon Network. What do you think kind of made you stand out during the interview process when you were first applying to be a production assistant intern for Cartoon Network? I have no idea. But I also (laughs) had contacted some alumni that were currently working there. So Sam Keston really helped me out. I owe her so much. I reached out to her because she was working as a production assistant for post-production, I believe, or no, no, for retakes. Uh, She was a retake production assistant at the time. And I knew that she had, I don't remember if I knew that she worked there or that she had the internship before, but like, yeah, I reached out and was like, can you help me with my resume and a cover letter? And she gave me a ton of notes. And I it's it was incredibly helpful of like how to word things, how to make myself sound better, how to organize it, like just all of the real businessy stuff, to be honest. And like you can't like buff up your resume more than the experience that you have. Mm-hmm. But she was also like, here, you can take off like uh, I had like my experience from UPS on there because like, why not? Mm-hmm. So certain things she was like, this isn't as applicable, so you should make room for stuff that like will really make you look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she really helped me uh, trim down and especially helped me on my cover letter, I have to say, of like, you know, in your cover letter, you should just be saying stuff that you can't read on your resume because if you're just repeating things, then why bother? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So like she was like, you know, elaborate on this, uh, just talk about your experience, make yourself sound better. So I did all of that. And yeah, I eventually got it. I think I also reached out to Micah. But I just remember like Sam had really helped me like the whole time. And I was actually on Sam and Micah's crew for Craig of the Creek, which was incredible. And actually, when I got the call for the internship for like an interview, I'm sorry, I can't really give any advice on this because as I was doing the interview, my like soul left my body and like I was just saying <laughs> stuff. And, you just kind of black out. You know, I like I was like looking down on myself in a third person view being like, oh, you're interviewing for Cartoon Network. Like <laughs> it, that was crazy. But I remember distinctly, I was like, okay, just be like honest and upfront and like, you know, answer their questions. I'm sure they asked me like, 
certain questions like, what do you do? Like, what's your hobbies and whatever, because that can tell a lot about a person. But my advice, if you want to hear it on like doing interviews for a big company like Cartoon Network is don't have too many posters from their studio because like <laughs> like it behind you, you mean? yeah because specifically like say steven universe where it has like a very big fandom it's kind of a red flag for them to see like oh you're like a super fan so if we let you in the building are you gonna cause trouble mm. and like they want people to be passionate and to know about cartoon network but like you know they they're they're like a public studio they get uh, some some crazy like fanatics out there and they're just a bunch of artists who want to be able to sit down and you know do what they want like yeah. work on the, their art so mm. they're kind of guarded in that sense yeah that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah i won't say the name but there's a friend of ours uh, that was telling me a story way back when when she was in high school that they went to visit nick not like they didn't have permission to visit nick but they went to see the studio outside Mm -hmm. And as a joke, she pretended to climb the fence. And then over the intercom, they're like, no. climb down now. Oh my God. And she was <laughs> so like, oh, oh, shit. And then she just climbed down and this was like, she just like ran away because they're like, don't take my picture. I want to work for you eventually. <laughs> oh no. So like the fact that they had an intercom, I'm pretty sure that's happened in the past by like yeah. uh, people that, you know, maybe aren't studying animation or like that are again super big fans of like the studio yeah. or the property so yeah good, good piece of advice <laughs> <laughs> just try to be a normal person <laughs> yeah yeah but something that like you mentioned before on the podcast and i kind of want you to bring it back up and you kind of mentioned it earlier as well how like you were honest and saying how i'm pretty green can you actually tell me how to use this rig you're also pretty honest when it came to your internship when you were like, when they were asking like, oh, so what do you want to do? And you were like, I honestly don't know. I'm kind of here just to learn about the pipeline and see if I want to work in TV. So mm -hmm. yeah, how was that experience like trying to figure out what you, what you wanted your role to be in animation? Because I think at the time you're kind of still having that discovery for yourself. Yeah, that's true. So when I was a production in assistant intern, first of all, that was a dream come true like to work at Cartoon Network so like for me personally I was like I can check that off my bucket list like yeah Cartoon Network like of all the studios is was probably my top choice that's awesome yeah no it's, it was like when I think about that summer I'm like it literally was like the best summer of my life because Aww. also the summer internship for Cartoon Network is the best because you get summer barbecue like every other Friday or like once a month I don't remember but they like cater barbecued food oh, on so the nice. roof of Cartoon Network. It's so good. And like you're oh. a sad, hungry intern. They don't <laughs> I mean they don't pay you very much, but like you're a sad, hungry intern and then you go up and you grab two plates of food and everybody's really nice to you because they love the interns and it's Aww. it's just a great time. Yeah. But yes, while I was a production assistant intern, I don't remember if they asked me in the interview because they might not ask you that up front since you're like a student, you're just like, I'm just applying for the internship. But yeah, when I got in there, every time I would talk to somebody, they would be like, yeah, so like, do you want to get into storyboarding or like, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. And it was true because at the time I knew that I liked animation. I wanted to do animation, but there's no, well, there's almost no animation in America, the United States proper. Like a lot of it is outsourced to uh, Canada, Korea, Australia the Philippines, you know, it's just not here. And the jobs that are here are almost all in LA, which is a good thing because they have a guild uh, animation union. But it's like, 
it's all storyboarding. It's like all pre-production stuff. So like storyboarding, you know, uh, design, background, paint and color, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's not a lot of post unless it's feature yeah. for 3D. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just like, I really wanted to fall in love and like work there. And I could probably be okay at production, but it's not something that I wanted to pursue like long term, or at least not right now. Maybe if I like, when my wrist dies out, I can be a production somebody. <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it kind of went in the opposite direction because the more I talked to people who were working there and the more passionate that I saw that they were, the more that I wanted to like pursue my own passion of like specifically doing animation and like not kind of settle for doing something where I was like, I could do storyboards, but I would probably be like way more stressed out and like way more second guessing myself because it wasn't what I wanted to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's really great. And I'm glad that you kind of had that like self-discovery and then mm -hmm. that ignited a passion you to pursue and you've done it. You're getting these jobs that are like, you know, in the animation space, which I'm super proud of you for. Sweating. <laughs> <laughs> So you're actually someone that was really heavily involved in school back when we were at San Jose State University together from becoming the figure model coordinator of the Shark and Handman Club to working on Yuri Decker's and Ryan Eway's short film, A Space Butthole. Hell yeah. To also being a part of SJSU's and UC Santa Monica's like video game collaboration, Control Shift. And just overall, you were just involved in a lot of volunteer opportunities at San Jose State as well. How did you feel like all of these collective experiences prepared you for a career in animation? Well, I don't know if they were preparing me for my career in animation so much as I was like exploring different parts of the industry that I was interested in. Similar to like how I approached my internship, I guess. For example, I really wanted to go into games. But our school, San Jose State, doesn't really teach games. Our animation professor didn't know anything about games. So I had to get on this opportunity to be in collaboration with uh, UC Santa Monica's. Like, they were also students that were working on their own games, and I wanted to be a part of that. So like we were working on other student projects. But I guess to go back, <laughs> I was a terrible high school student. Uh, I like slept through almost <laughs> all of my classes. I never took art classes. And then finally... At the end of like senior year or well, at, on senior year, my mom was like, you should apply to places. And I was like, OK. And then she was also like, oh, no, your brother's leaving community college and then you're going to be going to university. So like then I'll be all alone. So to me, I was like, great, I'll just go to community college and I won't take the SAT because like, why spend money if I'm not going to apply to colleges? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and then after I did that, she was like, why didn't you apply? And I was like, there wasn't any point. You were going to be lonely. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you should have done it anyway. And I was like, yeah, whatever, it's too late. So I went to community <laughs> college for a couple of years, which was actually one of the best things that I probably could have done. Because also at that point, that was like the turning point for me personally of like my whole life. My mom was like, you should pursue a career that makes a lot of money. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I will. And then yeah. when she was like, why did you do this? Why did you listen to me? Basically, why did you do this thing? So I was like, you're right. Why did I listen to you? I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, so I decided to pursue a career in art, which I started taking classes at community college, which was really great because I like got a handle on like actual like technical art terms. And like I started honing my skills 
I made a ton of great friends, like honed my social skills by making friends at community college and like maintaining those friendships. And like, I really grew up as a person because like in high school, I was like, I was like a blob who slept all the time. Uh, And then so finally, when I made it to San Jose State, I was like a fully realized human who like knew how to talk to other people and like (laughs) knew how to like keep a conversation going or like initiate in projects and stuff. So like, I mean, I love community college. Fucking go there if you need it. Uh, And it's cheap as hell. Yeah. But yeah, when I got to university, finally, to go back to your question, I was like, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to, you know, get involved with the Shrunken Headman Club, which was the club on campus. I just put myself out there and like, you have to do a speech to make them vote for you to be in like the uh, charity committee and to be on the cabinet. And I hate public speaking so much, so freaking much. But I put myself out there because I decided like, I'm just going to try. And the more people I talked to, the more they just supported me. And eventually, yeah, I was elected as the figure model coordinator, which was great because I loved just going into the figure drawing sessions and talking to the models and just like making more friends. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of that was just me exploring different ways, like different interests that I had and like trying to make friends and trying to find something that really hooked me. Mm. Just kind of segueing, kind of like shift gears a bit. One of the things I feel like people may not know or they do know is that you also kind of run your own uh, Twitch channel. So for those that don't know, Yuki also is a Twitch streamer. She streams on Twitch. Uh, you can follow her on uh, Twitch TV forward slash Toodles. I think that's I don't I forget how many views <laughs> that is. But what is it like running a Twitch channel? And is that just for fun? Are you also looking at that as a possible like, you know, source of additional income for yourself? Yeah. So. For me, I've always streamed since I was like in middle school. Uh, I used to stream on a site called just called Livestream, where I would just oh, wow. stream art and people that I knew on DeviantArt. I would post like, "Oh, I'm live right now." I would just draw like shitty anime <laughs> or whatever, um, and people <laughs> could watch me. And like, it was a really good way for me to hang out with people who were like I don't normally talk to or were like kind of shy. And I really love that aspect about it of like, oh, I can sit down and draw and like work on stuff and still have like some kind of social interaction. Yeah. So, I've yeah, mm-hmm. I've always like craved that sort of relationship with people where I'm like, this is a low pressure relationship. Like, I still want to talk to you guys like you are my friends, but like, I'm just going to be here. And if you want to come in and vibe, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right now I am running my own Twitch. I stopped streaming for a few months just because like. I was, you know, stopped doing a lot of things. I was doing too much at one point. Like I had almost something for every day of the week that I was doing. And I was just like running too, <laughs> too many things at once. No, but... I totally get that. And like you do so much for this podcast as well. And I know this is like an additional thing that's on your list. <laughs> no, I mean, I love the podcast. If anything, I was like, okay, I can't cut out the podcast. Like I'm going to cut off like some of these other things. Like I was doing a lot of tabletop games with friends and stuff like that so i had to drop Mm. out of some of those games which is fine it's just like you know that's just for fun so if it's not fun anymore Mm. you know i'm just gonna back out take care of me but yeah yeah i I stopped streaming on twitch for a while i want to get back into streaming like more consistently i guess or just like more for fun uh especially since i'm like trying to work on personal stuff it helps me sit down and just like 
Mm-hmm. If somebody's watching me, basically, I'll I'll sit down into it more. Accountability. Yeah, accountability. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I totally get that. In terms of income, I never thought of it as like, I'm going to be a streamer and like get people to subscribe to me and make a bunch of stuff. It was really never about that for me. But like, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, people still throw their money and they're like, here, take my subscription. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, I have a Kofi, which I prefer because like, then people can just send me money directly and not give it to Jeff Bezos. But like, right. But like, I, I like having the platform and being able to, to stream and like talk to people. Oh, that's really great. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us where the origin of your username Choodles came from? Because I wondered that. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, it's not that complicated. It's um, my username for the longest time was Pandachu on like DeviantArt and uh, like Neopets or whatever. But I quickly found out that Pandachu is like a really coveted username. And I was like, uh-huh. I can't do this. Like, I have to be the same everywhere. Yeah, and my <laughs> my friend who was also uh, doing live streams sometimes when I would go to her stream, uh, she nicknamed me Chudos, and that's what she would say every time she saw me. So I was like, "That's Aww. a great name. I'm gonna use that." So oh, okay, I was like, "Oh, so cute, great nickname. Gonna use it. Nobody knows it. Like it's just a made up word." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's great. I, for the longest time, because when I followed you on Instagram, this is when we first met, I thought, I thought it was Chuddles. That's what I thought, too. That's, you know what? 50% of the time, people think it's Chuddles. 50% of the time, people think it's Chuddles. I'm not bothered by it. I just think it's funny that it's almost, like, exactly <laughs> split down the middle. Yeah. I saw your Twitter thing that said, like, noodles. And I was like, ah. Yeah, sounds like noodles. You didn't want to go the art route and be like, oh, sounds like doodles. Nah. Oh. <laughs> but I love noodles. Yeah. Being an artist is not my only identity, right? <laughs> And also Asian. We eat a lot of noodles. This is a bi-POC podcast. Speaking of identity, then, how do you feel your cultural background as a mixed Chinese-Japanese-American influences your voice as an artist? Well, it's a long and complicated question because mm-hmm. when I was young, my brother subscribed to Shonen Jump, which is like a monthly manga, and you get like a bunch of different mangas kind of like all smashed into one you get a couple chapters every month Mm -hmm. and i thought that was great i loved reading those and like part of me i don't know like part of like a really small childhood me for some reason was like this is from japan so it's like part of my culture like i had a lot of like thoughts like that of oh this will connect me to my culture more And Mm -hmm. it really won't, but like, (laughs) uh, yeah, I was like young and impressionable. And I think in a way that like really influenced me of like, I loved manga. And then I just eventually loved reading the stories, uh, regardless of if they were like Japanese or not. But like, I learned a lot about, I don't know, like through Hikaru no Go, there was like Japanese history and stuff like that, which I was like, not super interested in. And like, The older I got, I don't know, the more I became aware of like how American I am Mm -hmm. because people would always point out how Asian I am. And I'd be like, but I'm like from America and I only speak English and like I can't even understand my grandparents because like my grandma only spoke Chinese, but I like my dad never taught us Chinese because it was too hard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like I've, I've only ever spoken English. I have terrible, broken, like Japanese, that kind of stuff. So it's interesting because I've always had this sort of like struggle of like, it's not a terrible struggle, but like the thought of like, man, what am I though? 
mm-hmm. <laughs> to Americans, I'm Asian, but to Asian people, I'm American. Like, it's a tough balance. Mm-hmm. But I guess in that sense, more recently, at least, I've really been thinking about like what that means for me, like being a third culture kid and like how I can put that back into my art, especially like the stories that I'm working on now. I'm trying not to be like too critical of it or think too much about it because my story personally, it feels so specific Mm -hmm. and not in the way where I'm like trying to connect with other people, but in a way where I'm like, other people may not see it this way, but this is my experience of like being Asian American or being a half Chinese, half Japanese person, which is like also its own thing because <laughs> Yeah, you're like you're like you're like doubling up. You're like well, doubling it's up. like it's hard because growing up, my brother's friend, his dad is like French, and he made this offhanded comment one time where he was like, Oh, uh, you have a very interesting name. Is it Japanese? And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm half Japanese, half Chinese. And he was like, oh, but I thought the Japanese hate the Chinese, which is true. <laughs> Most <laughs> of the Asian countries don't like each other because they like fought each other for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. It's stuff like that where people's like perception of like, oh, how can you be half of these two cultures that actually hate each other and like are at terrible war against each other? Mm-hmm. So it, it's sort of tough because like, people in the Asian community who are like, oh, I'm fully like Korean or fully Chinese or something like that. It's it makes you feel like you're not as connected to your culture. And not that Mm -hmm. anybody's trying to make you feel bad, but it's just like an internal thing where it's like, oh, this is hard. (laughs) No, yeah. This actually is reminding me of like this scene in Selena, like the Mm -hmm. the movie about the the singer. Yeah. uh, Where the dad it's like a scene they're driving and he's just pretty much saying is that like, it's difficult being a Mexican-American because you have to prove to the Americans that you're American and prove to the Mexican mm-hmm. you're Mexicans and you have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans at the exact same time. Yep. And so that's like a difficult situation. And that applies to like any uh, individual where their family immigrated to, to America, whether you're, you're yeah. Asian-American, Indian, wh- whatever that may be. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a tough line. And with you also as well, like, you know, being half... Chinese have Japanese that's also like it doesn't have to be it but other people make it out to be as like a battle to conflict so like oh you're not Japanese enough because you know you're only half Japanese you're not Chinese enough because you're only like because you're part Japanese blah 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 yeah. and then on top of that also trying to prove that you're American or people thinking you're American but people also not believing you're American because you look a certain way it's a it's a tough and difficult battle that I mm-hmm. hope that one day we can just freaking exist yeah yeah I mean like I'm I'm more comfortable now than I was but like it was something that I had thought about a lot, like, growing up. But, I don't know, I love being half Chinese, half Japanese. I love all of that about, like, my culture and, like, my Americanized, like, Chinese culture. Like, I love my whole family and the things that we do that I, I'm i like, yeah, that's Chinese-American because my family does exactly this. But it's not, like, a universal experience. But I still think, like, in my mind is, like, that feels like a Chinese-American experience. Like, having big family dinners and being loud and... And farting all the time or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i love that yeah i think as we're getting older now it's something that we've become to appreciate a lot more but it is a difficult thing to like identify and then figure out like like you know your path and and whatnot mm-hmm. so what one of the one of the other things i want to ask is uh when are you going to finally move back to california <laughs> and become a storyboard artist yuki never, when are you gonna make that happen never right <laughs> This is a very strange obsession Ray has to to make me move back to California and live in a place I don't want to live and do a job I don't want to do. 
but you can do it. You can do it. You, there's plenty of storyboarding jobs out there. You can totally do storyboarding. And again, I know you want to travel, but when you're ready to settle down, settle back down in California so we can hang out again. <laughs> Wait, you're just like my dad. He's just like, my dad was trying to bribe me to come back to California, basically. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I'll buy you a house. Like, you can live in the apartment. Wow. Your dog can be here or whatever. <laughs> wow. My dad's allergic to dogs. He was like, he, your dog can't live here. And now he's oh. like, you, she can live here. <laughs> no, I don't know if I ever will. I mean, like, it's not that I'm totally opposed to doing storyboard. It's just the idea of, like, coming up with many story ideas is really difficult for me. Like, even working on uh, Sol Naciente, I did all of the thumbnail like panel layouts for Sol Naciente and I am so sorry, but they took a really long time because my process as like a layout artist is just to sit there and like kind of look at the script and then think about it for a while and then like doodle 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 and then be like, oh, this doesn't feel like it's going fast or slow enough and then like change the panel layout Mm -hmm. and then I'll get really tired from doing like one page of scripts so I'll like lay down or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah, and then my initial thumbnails for that was super super rough like because i never because that yuki said has had experience with her own like you know on her personal time making her own little comic layouts and comic pages so she's done comic layout before i've never done it so i just gave like a rough thumbnail and yuki really plussed up what i did making panel layouts more interesting more dynamic and really helping the pacing of it because yeah. It, yeah it was my first time attempting something like that but it was good because i could see what like you wanted in terms of like visual because like when i when i do stuff basically i'm just moving the camera by myself you know creating angles by myself but like your vision of it might be different or might like even be better right Mm -hmm. but yeah all jokes aside i mean ideally i think it'd be great if you became a storyboard artist because again there's (laughs) a lot of jobs that are out there and it pays more than animation jobs unfortunately yeah it does Unfortunately, unfortunately, animation gets the short end of the stick, especially in terms of pay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's 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 one of the sad truths. But like, again, I'm glad that you're happy and I'm glad that you're that you're thriving. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate your confidence in me, even if I'll if even if I won't do it, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I will always believe in you. <laughs> well, before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you, Yuki? And is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Choodles, C-H-U-U-D-L-E-S. I'm there pretty much everywhere uh, because I have a brand that I have to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, it just makes it easier to like sign in and find me and everything. So like I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Kofi. I'm Pandachu on DeviantArt, but I think DeviantArt's like shutting down or something like that. I might destroy mine because they're getting into nfts oh yeah oh man (laughs) yeah watch jelly ben and pogo on pbs kids it's really good and it's all about like filipino culture and uh representation it's it's super sweet they're just like three minute shorts please show it to all your children (laughs) and bird girls on adult swim so you can watch that too but i really love jelly ben and pogo (laughs) i'm biased i really like the representation part of it that's fair of culture yeah exactly as we come to a close on this very special episode, what final advice do you want to bestow on those who want to pursue a career in animation? Listen. All right, lean in. Listen. <laughs> you have your volume on? <laughs> Ask for more money. <laughs> I actually, it, this, that's actually my only piece of advice. If I could go back and tell myself, like, 
obviously there's really good pieces of advice of like you know work on your own art or whatever but for me personally every time i got a job offer i was just like so starstruck by the idea that anybody wanted to hire me they would just give me a price and i would be like great don't do that don't be me <laughs> <laughs> i got paid yeah. 770 dollars a week for my job at awesome which is like barely above minimum here i think and that's like criminally low like basically everybody else i was working with was making a thousand <laughs> oh wow um, mm. yeah so like i i had no experience but like being paid that low like personally like knowing that now hurts me <laughs> yeah damn i I should have asked for more. The person that I worked with, uh, so one of the people that I worked with who had been working in the industry for like quite a few years was like, I always just ask for a hundred more and they usually give it to me. And I was like, holy shit, like a hundred? Okay. Um, but that's like per week. So, mm -hmm. you know. If yeah, you're not asking like an extra hundred per hour, but like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they asked for like a hundred more per week or like, you know, however you want to calculate it. But like always ask for more because they're going to expect it. They'll just find some money somewhere, you know, they'll give it to you. Honestly, at the end of the day, what you earn is not going to affect your day to day, like how well you do your job. So you might mm -hmm. as well ask for it up front, because like, even if you think you're not going to do a great job, you're not going to do a like better job by having less money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So just ask for more and try to like know your self-worth and then ask your coworkers what they're making too, because that's the only reason why like, in my job after awesome i was able to get a job that was paying me like a thousand a week so like if i had not known i would have just stuck with like you know 800 a very low number something like that yeah just communicate make friends you know try to get your worth the worst thing they're gonna tell you is like no they're never gonna yeah. they're never gonna take back the offer i want to say <laughs> yeah. very rarely will they ever take back the offer and be like sorry never mind we don't want to hire you if they do that then it's not yeah, you don't want to work for them yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't want to work for them the, the thing that they always do is like oh let me check with my higher up or let me see if we have money in the budget and then they'll step away message you maybe a day or two later and let you know like oh okay after discussion we can go up by this much so yeah. there's a usually like, like a back and forth but normally there's always room in the budget for them to pay you a little more um yeah. so but it's totally such a beginner thing just to accept the first price they give you and be like yeah. you want to pay me great i'm happy <laughs> yeah and i moved across the country and they didn't even help me so like mm -hmm. it was a lot of money that i spent you know yeah going wow. to a new place it, yeah i mean luckily i'm very financially stable like my family and my boyfriend like money is personally it's not ever like a worry for me but like getting recognized for my own self-worth is right yeah is no, really that's important key, so mm -hmm. yeah I think that's some really good advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed our interview with Yuki, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful and increase our visibility. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And thank you to Ashley Itliong for editing today's episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. And again, be sure to join us live January 23rd on Twitch TV for our 50th episode spectacular. More details will coming up soon. And thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest with a bright future straight ahead. 
Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.